kindness without empathy can sometimes just be niceness. And niceness serves me more than the person that I'm giving to. I think an important truth is that we can do well-intentioned things and not actually have the impact that we want. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm running a little competition as we're trying to get more people to discover this podcast and the work that inspires those to sell with love more. And the best way to do this is to leave reviews, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And for those of you who leave a review when listening to this episode, I would ask you to take a screenshot of your review and send it to me at jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. And in doing so, I'm going to give you a set of meditations that you can use to get into the state of selling with love, whether it's connecting with your buyer, affirmations before making calls or any kind of outreach. These will empower you to be feeling powerful and to be able to do it from a place of love. It is a reward for supporting the show, being a loyal listener, and of course, being able to give more to my amazing audience. Thank you for always showing up, listening, and being inspired by the amazing guests that I get to interview and I get to share their message with you. So again, just leave a review. Take a screenshot of the review. This can be done on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and email it directly to me, jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. Thank you, and now let's get started with our episode. Hey everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. So today we're gonna talk about an attribute that we can nurture and we can use in the way that we grow our business, the way that we do sales, heck, the way that we show up as human beings every single day. And it's one of the most underrated traits that we can embody that actually brings so many benefits. And I'm really looking forward to we can dissect exactly what that looks like. And the guest that I have to speak about this is Houston Kraft. He is the co-founder of Character Strong. And it's an organization which provides a curriculum and training for 2,500 schools in 50 states and in over nine countries. He has a passion for sustainable impact, positive cultural change, and student success. He's a speaker, author, curriculum designer and a kindness advocate which is where his first book deep kindness is the key of what we're going to be speaking about a revolutionary guide to the way we think talk and act in kindness and so i'm so excited to dig deeper into this topic houston welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here thank you i always blush at introductions it's like way too many good things about yourself in one place well i'm trying to be kind given that (laughs) that's the theme of today well played early on yeah (laughs) But at the same time, we often have to be reminded of these great things we achieve. And so I just want to acknowledge that Mm. from the get-go. I know you've spoken around kindness at conferences around the world. And I kind of want to start there. What does it look like? Either you approach a conference to speak or they approach you and you're like, yeah, we're going to talk about kindness. They're like, I don't know if there's an ROI on that. Do I need this? Like, how does that (laughs) conversation usually go? Yeah, it's one of those things that's underrated, but understood to be necessary. And I think we have like an inherent understanding that whether it's as an organization, how we approach our customer, how we approach our own internal team, I think we have an internal knowing that kindness is an essential thing, 
but I think we take for granted how much hard work is required to actually cultivate it. So that's part of my angle is if we believe that this is a worthwhile pursuit, my aim is to help support the teaching of it. You talk about how it's something we need to nurture. Are we not by default wired to be kind or is there something that's holding us back from this natural kindness? Because we see a lot of nastiness in the world too, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite premises, Jason, is I love words. I think words play a much larger role in shaping our world than we often understand. The way that we think about things in our brain shapes the way we act with them in the world, which is why I'm passionate about helping people understand what kindness is. Because when we change the way we think about kindness in our life, it changes the way we act with it. And one of my favorite cultural tidbits is that the word human in Arabic roughly translates to to forget. The premise being that just to be human is a practice in forgetting. And so I would argue that we might be born kind, but we forget how to do it because of really our experience, culture, a lot of inputs around us that actually make kindness harder as we get older. So that's why we need to be reminded. We need tools to support the remembering of something that I think we know already. Speaking of kind of going deeper in what you highlighted is that we have this instinctual thing that, okay, being kind probably helps, probably works. But could you talk a bit more about what really happens when we choose to be kind and some of the key advantages that it does provide in case we've really forgotten that there is an advantage to being kind? Yeah, it's, it's one of those eternal things, much like a gratitude practice where there's all kinds of research to support that the practice of kindness, no matter how you spin it, is going to be selfish. You're going to get benefit from kindness. In fact, one of my favorite pieces of research is they brought people into an anonymous chat group, a forum, and they asked people to write down things that they needed support with. The idea being that people in this anonymous space felt more comfortable receiving support from all these outside individuals, that the exercise of getting that support was going to be nurturing for them, helpful, supportive. What they found was in this space, as people offered their support, gave insights, perspectives, help, generosity, kindness, the benefits they got from giving support actually outweighed the benefits they got from receiving it. So the practice of kindness is actually more beneficial than receiving it in the first place. So that's like the practical, right? The human side of when we give, we inevitably get. The organizational side is that no matter how you spin it for the most part, organizations are going to be made up of people. And when you're dealing with people, you're always balancing two things. You're always balancing our tasks. We got to get things done and relationships, right? The people that are actually getting those things done and how they work together and as individuals to work towards whatever your common pursuit is. A lot of organizations spend a lot of time focusing on the productivity side, the tasks side. And if you neglect the people side, you find that people really consistently feel burnt out, overwhelmed, aren't engaged. The statistics, we've been talking about it today as an organization, it's pretty staggering. It's like 48% of people in organizations aren't engaged in their job. Why is that? Well, maybe part of it is that they don't have clarity or they don't have the tools they need. But a huge part of it most often is that they don't feel connected. When we feel a sense of belonging, we feel safe. When we feel safe, we perform and we get things done and feel better about doing it. It's really interesting that, you know, you've brought this book out at the beginning of 2020, I believe, 
And this is a time where we all got separated, isolated, and then a lot of stress, a lot of fear, unknown uncertainty came up. And it seems like it's in those environments that we kind of forget to be kind to one another. I don't know if that's coming out from the left field, but that's how I'm feeling right now is like, there's almost so much busyness that we forget to take the time to be kind in the same way that you made a parallel to gratitude. We're very well aware of the benefits of practicing gratitude and bring that into your life. Yet we sometimes don't make the time yet being kind is not even a personal experience an interpersonal experience. And we seem to kind of get so busy, get stressed, and then we just don't pay attention to the impact we have on other people. And we kind of just rush through life, you could say. And so is that something that's being accelerated now? And why do we default to not paying attention to this kindness element? I mean, it's a great frame. It's the premise really of the whole book. The book is in some ways an instruction manual on how to close gaps, but a big portion of the structure of the book is how we identify the gaps in the first place. I've found that asking myself the question, do I believe in kindness? Do I value kindness? Do I care about kindness? Isn't a very useful exercise because I can believe in things and not do anything about them. I can know the value of something and do nothing to act on that value. And so the more interesting question I think is in a healthy way confrontational is what gets in my way. If I say I care about more kindness in my personal relationships, my professional relationships in the world at large, then what prevents me from creating the kind of kindness in the world that I say I care about? And the book's broken down into four big sections. It's inconvenience, insecurity, inconsistency, and incompetence. To me, these are like the buckets, right? Like the things that it's not just kindness. We can probably use all kinds of values or concepts that are good for us in our life. But you think about those like buckets, like inconvenience, I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted. This is quote unquote, one more thing on my plate. Incompetence. I would argue that there's lots of skills that live beneath the practice of kindness. So the action of kindness externally actually requires a whole lot of things internally first, whether it's empathy or perspective taking, it's a skill of listening, maybe it's vulnerability or courage. Maybe it's emotional regulation, like how do I know how to calm myself down in a moment where I'm feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or angry in order to care for someone with compassion? You think about inconsistency, you know, so much of I believe kindness is not an action, it's a habit. It's something that if you want to become kind, you have to weave it into your daily routines. And when we get overwhelmed by everything else going on, it's hard to make time for the practice of kindness. And the last one in the maybe more murky waters or uncomfortable waters is insecurity. I would argue that most often the act of kindness is a courageous one, which means you're fighting back against all the things that tried to make you forget about it in the first place. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of what people are going to think about you, all of those things that we don't always acknowledge that are happening in the background, that no matter how much we try to pretend not, the things that happen in the background, those fears are going to affect what we do in the foreground. And so those are the questions that the book tries to ask and help give us stories and tools to say, all right, how do we fight back against that? How do we close those gaps? Well, I'm hoping for everybody listening here, we're going to add in the show notes, definitely a link to deep kindness. So you can pick up a copy of this, which is basically your essential guidebook for making the world a kinder and more accepting place. And so you can play a part in that. And you realize there's these four big barriers that kind of hold you back. And I kind of wanted to dig into the one of competence, 
right? Because I think that's one that, you know, as we're listening to this podcast, maybe there's things that I could learn and I can't help myself, but make kind of a stereotypical reference to the fake kindness that can exist. You know, maybe you're trying to be kind and I'm going to do a Valley Girl impression and please, it's going to be horrible. So be patient with me. It's like, oh my God, I love those shoes. They're so nice. <laughs> but then like at the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I hate this person. So I just want to kind of see if we can dissect this, which is, are you advocating for us to always put up a kind front with everyone we encounter, even if deep down, we're not really wanting to be kind with them? Is there such a thing as fake kindness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all been on the receiving end. We've all probably been on the delivering end. In the book, one of the ways I try to distinguish the two is nice versus kind. I would say nice is a reaction. Kindness is proactive. Right? So it's something that we seek to give out. That nice is oftentimes benefits us. Kindness sometimes requires a sacrifice from us. So I try to bring those two words together because I think they're ones that we use unintentionally interchangeably. And I would argue that most people in the world say that they're kind, sometimes are actually just practicing niceness, even unintentionally. In fact, one of the examples that stands out to me in the book is the story of the Sandy Hook shooting. So tragedy that happened in our country, in the US, that young people were shot and killed in a school. In the aftermath of that, people from all over the world wanted to give kindness to this community. And so people in this moment of tragedy sent from all over the world gifts a lot of them stuffed animals because young kids had passed away. And I thought it was really interesting that the people on the far side, the people receiving these gifts, the town of Newtown, Connecticut, what they ended up having to face was they got so many inbound gifts that they had to rent this like 20,000 square foot warehouse just to house all of these gifts. And what I thought was the most profound was one of the gentlemen who helped coordinate the candlelit vigil. He said at the vigil, there were more stuffed animals than there were people. And in a quote that I think about all the time, he goes, a teddy bear is great, but a teddy bear doesn't pay for counseling and a teddy bear doesn't pay for a funeral. So I want to tease that out for a second in terms of competence, because what competence is required in order for kindness to become real or elevated? Well, I would argue it's empathy. And the argument I would make here is that kindness without empathy can sometimes just be niceness. And niceness serves me more than the person that I'm giving to. So guess what? Those people who gave the teddy bear got to feel good at the act. But did they actually know what these people needed? Were they actually giving something to meet a legitimate need because they understood the perspective or they listened or they did their research? Not to demonize those people in the first place. They're well-intentioned. But I think an important truth is that we can do well-intentioned things and not actually have the impact that we want which is why the skill set, the competence of empathy and perspective taking, listening is critical if we're gonna actually increase the effectiveness of kindness in our world. That's a powerful story that brings it to truth here. And you know, to be able to gauge this difference between the niceness and the kindness, is that the question we ask ourselves is like, is this serving me more than them? And is this something we need to sit with? It's one of my favorite simple questions. Who does this serve? Who does this serve? I also wanted to kind of elaborate if we're going to be using this question and for every way that we do, I mean, I can even see this in a sales process. If you're trying to do something reciprocal, like who does it serve? 
We often talk about how if you come with service first, you're going to see results come back to you as well. But when we're trying to actually do it with that intention of, oh yeah, I'm going to get something back if I do this, then I feel like it comes back into that nice realm. And so I kind of want to speak about those habits you spoke about, which is if I'm trying to just nurture this kindness, call it a muscle, right? Are there certain practices that we can get started with right away that just makes us be able to do these things in a more authentic way and that actually is making us have more empathy in the process? Hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I'll zoom out a little bit to the framework of the practice in the first place. I think people who listen to this podcast probably read a lot of leadership type books, business type books. Many folks have probably picked up or read something like Atomic Habits or The Power of Habit. I remember reading The Power of Habit and Charles Duhigg cited a piece of research that 45% of our day is habit that struck me as really important because if 45% of my day is habit, it means that 45% of my week is habit, which means that 45% of my month is habit, which means that half of my life effectively is on autopilot. I'm like, dang, it begs a question for me as someone that cares about kindness, thinks about kindness a lot. I think to myself, what percent of my 45 is designed to be kind? Meaning, do I have any percentage of my daily routine that is intentionally kind? If it's something that I say I value, do I consistently give my most valuable resource to it? My time, my routine, my energy. And I like to lower the burden a little bit. I'm like, okay, can feel overwhelming to change a bunch of our habits. I think like, what about a 1% shift? The average person for the time that they're awake during the day, it's around 960 minutes, the average person. So you think about 1% of your waking hours, 9.6 minutes. Okay, then just to offer that frame, because I think it helps me take a big idea, make it smaller, to say, what does it look like to dedicate 9.6 minutes of my day to kindness? Now, my recommendation is that clarity and specificity is always going to result in more consistent action. So organizationally at Character Strong, our team, every quarter, we set a goal, we set a character goal, that's what we call it. And our character goal is like, okay, what is the one word you wanna focus on for this quarter, personally? For some people, it's kindness. For others in the organization, it's gratitude. My word this quarter is thoughtfulness. Every day in my goals that I post to my organization, I not only share what I have to do on my to-do list, but we call it our who we wanna be list. So at the top of our to-do list that we're sharing with the organization, Every day I write out thoughtful and I write out one thing I'm gonna do to be thoughtful today. And I can tell you mine today. Mine is I have a friend's playlist who I love. Today, my goal was to send her a playlist that I love and tell her thank you for the music that you've given in my life. I create a system, right? Not only for myself, but as an organization, we have a system that supports the accountability of elevating that priority in our lives, saying this is just as important as anything else on our to-do list today. But if we don't make it real, if we don't make it tangible, then guess what? Something like kindness or thoughtfulness or patience or gratitude will remain an abstract ideal and not something that we ever actually become. And Will Durant says it best. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, it's a habit. And I like to scratch that out. Sorry, Will, but it's like, kindness is not an act, it's a habit. Patience is not an act, it's a habit. If we want to become these things that we say we care about, well, we got to build it into our 45%. I love that. And oh my God, when we start thinking about everything that comes 
back from being kind. Again, we kind of alluded to the benefits, but it's like, yeah, sure, you're going to get some results from a business front, but God, does it make just life a little bit better to live through when you're actually being kind, connecting with people? And I can just think of the research that speaks about the fact that, you know, the number one correlator with longevity in our health is the strength of our social connections. And so why wouldn't you be using this act of kindness and being more kind on an everyday basis, on a habit basis, understanding that at the end of the day, it actually will give you more life. And matter of fact, it's going to make you have a life worth living too, because, you know, why be grumpy and mad at everything when you can just have a bit more kindness within your life, which kind of brings me to one element of kindness that might be tied to your framework based on insecurity or you'll tell me where it fits in but hey i could be you know building habits being kind to people being thoughtful to people around me but if there's one person that i'm often maybe not as kind like i wouldn't even treat them like my worst enemy is how we speak to ourselves and that kind of critical judgment we have about ourselves does the elements of your framework apply to how we treat ourselves and how kindness plays such a big part Definitely. I talk about it in two spaces. The first one is in incompetence. And in that section of the book, I talk about forgiveness as a skill and how forgiveness is separating people from their behaviors. I heard that a long time ago, and it's been a practice I try to work on and execute in my life. And the idea being that one of the best gifts we can give ourselves, one of the best ways we can practice kindness towards self is exercising forgiveness towards others because the person that it's most going to impact is going to be us. The second part is in insecurity. I talk about the idea of shame and how shame can be a huge barrier for kindness because it impacts the way that we speak internally, which is going to shape the way we communicate externally. And I'm a big believer that shame is external criticism turned inward, meaning it's the things that we've heard from the outside world that we start repeating in our own voice. And that's where it starts to get dangerous. They're lies. They're lies that we've been told by a family member, a friend, a bully, a culture, and the messages that they try to give us. And when we repeat lies often enough, we start to believe that they're true. And so the practice of self-compassion, I believe is an exercise in truth-telling. It's an exercise in untangling lies that were once given to us from the outside and starting to repair them from the inside, rewriting narratives, understanding who we are separate from what the world has tried to tell us. And when we can get disciplined at that and separate lies, fact from fiction for ourselves, it gives us such a gift to be able to show up with love or compassion for ourselves, which allows us to be present, grateful, forgiving externally. It's probably the number one most challenging part of kindness. Yeah, it is the one that starts actually giving you a lot more compassion, a lot more empathy, and a lot more space to be kind with everything else around. So Houston, I just want to say a big thank you for sharing all these ideas around kindness. For everybody listening, definitely pick up a copy of Deep Kindness. I think that when you realize, and there's a part of me that's almost sad that we have to go and relearn about being kind because it seems like it should be so fundamental to our human experience. Yet, we also wanna maybe be able to be 
kind to ourselves and be able to realize that, guess what? While using the tools and being more competent, being more aware, we can pay attention to the ways that we can be more empathetic and we can truly start actually showing up in life with more kindness and seeing how many doors start being open for you, whether it's about finding employees, growing the business, getting clients, and just seeing your personal relationships flourish by just being a bit more kind. I think we could use a lot more kindness in the world right now. And with a book that you've put together, I think you're able to move that needle a lot. And so for everybody listening, I would highly encourage you to grab a copy of that. I would also want to ask you a final question, Houston, which I love to ask my guests, given that you're on the Selling with Love podcast. You've built up character strong into a great institution and sales has been a part of it. You've promoted your book and you've sold so many copies. So you've had to sell that as well. So if I say selling with love, what does that mean to you? Well, I'll offer the definition of servant leadership as we operate in our organization, which is meeting people's legitimate needs. And I don't think it's a far stretch to describe or define love in a very similar way. So when you get clear on the needs that you want to meet in the world and you do it with sincerity and excellence and persistence, you're going to sell something because you're loving people through what you give. So. I love the world a lot. I want to make it a better place. And I think if I meet enough needs along the way, then the selling will happen as a byproduct. Houston Craft, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your insights. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.